Part Ten of Just Me by Pearl White. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. When I found out what all the row was about, I pleaded much innocence and sorrow, so they must have decided to forgive me, took my weapons, and allowed me to depart. This might have been mighty nice of them, but my train had gone in the meantime, and I had to wait hours for the next one. So I wasn't so full of gratitude, and I didn't reach Paris until four o'clock in the morning. I had met on the train an old lady who spoke English, a nice old soul, and as she was going to the Grand Hotel, I decided I'd go there too. The Grand Hotel in Paris. I think it had the largest rooms in the world. So by the time I had made a complete tour of mine, it was daybreak, and out into the streets I went to see Paris at dawn. Sounds romantic, but it wasn't. I wandered around for a while, and then being hungry, went into a restaurant for some food. I noticed there was a large mounted horse's head nailed over the door, and I thought at the time it was a very queer decoration. I couldn't tell much what the bill of fare was about, but knowing that filet mignon meant steak, I ordered that along with coffee and pomme de terre. I knew those too. I also found out the day after what that horse's head meant in front of the door. I was eating horse meat. Anyway, it tasted all right, so why not? I went to the Ritz that evening and claimed my rooms, but I had scarcely entered them when the telephone rang. It was Bobby, the Count, on the other end of the wire. It seems he had learned my destination from a hotel porter in London. He told me he was in Paris on business. I knew he was lying, but it pleased me to think he had followed me there, so for the moment I rather liked him for it. I stayed on in Paris for a few weeks and saw a lot of my acquaintances from London, but most of my time was spent with Bobby. During this time I got down to a lot of serious thinking, decided to forget the Bep idea and marry Bobby. I didn't love him, but then this marriage would make a wonderful hit with my friends in America so I decided to take the big chance. To Bobby I was supposed to be under eighteen, therefore I had to cable for my parents' consent. What a laugh it would have handed my father if I had. Anyway, in the meantime I wanted to go to Italy alone, so the Count wired his sister to meet me in Genoa and take me to Milan, where we were to be married. I boarded the Rome Express, got cold feet at Genoa, didn't get off the train, but went straight on through to Rome. I stopped at the Excelsior Hotel in rooms overlooking the Queen's mother's house, found a couple of artists out at the Cine's moving picture studio who could speak English, hung around watching them work for a couple of days, feeling rather proud of my escapade, when in marches Bobby. He was pretty cross with me, so the conversation that first evening was not very pleasant. It was out of season in Rome, and there wasn't much to do, so he decided to take me to the cinema. These moving pictures are very amusing at times, he said. Yes, thought I, in more ways than one. So we went to this stuffy little theater, feeling none too kindly toward one another. The lights went out, and the picture started. In a couple of seconds, out I dashed, acting all over the screen. Bobby looked at the picture, and then at me. I saw him out of the corner of my eye and just stared straight ahead. Said picture was an old-time pâté, and about the rottenest one I had ever done. 
I was dumped down a coal hole, knocked about and all messed up in general. I suggested that we get out before the lights went on again, and out we went before the picture was finished. Then, in answer to his inquiring gaze, I said, Yes, that was me. I work for a living. Now you know why I don't want to marry you. Of course, he said, Nonsense! That he loved me just the same and all that sort of thing, but I noticed that his monocle slipped out of his eye, a thing that always happened when he was disappointed. So I let him rave on, knowing that in Italy an actress is not a cheerfully greeted daughter-in-law in the best families. I had just enough money left to spend about a week some place and buy my ticket to America, so I decided that I would go to Naples, take a look at Vesuvius, then home via the Mediterranean. Bobby, the Count, went also. He took me to stop in his aunt's villa just outside of Naples, and what a success I was there! The whole outfit, outside of Bobby, couldn't speak English, and my Italian, being very weak, I don't know whether he told them I was his fiancée, daughter, or what not. Anyway, I was certainly a stranger in the house. However, now that I was sure I wasn't going to have Bobby around me for the rest of my days, I liked him a whole lot, and we had a lot of fun together in Naples. We went to a little jewelry shop one day, and had half of his watch-chain riveted on his left wrist, the other half on my right ankle, swearing undying devotion, and that we each, at any rate, would never marry anyone else. He is in the army now, and I suppose that his is replaced by a chain with a nameplate on it, while I, well, I have grown used to mine, so it is still on my ankle. I only stayed in Naples about five days, and then I met some American friends who were going to Monte Carlo, and as I had an invitation to spend some time with a family and niece, I decided I would take advantage of that, and also stop off a day at Monte Carlo en route. I bid farewell to Bobby, went to Monte Carlo, where again fate stepped in and changed my whole career. I went into the casino in the afternoon, but not having much money left, I only bought fifty dollars worth of coins, and placed them all on the red. I had never seen a wheel before, and I didn't know the percentage of the game, so I played only red straight through fifty dollars, two hundred and fifty francs, a shot. And I am glad I did, because red turned up eleven times straight running, a thing that seldom happens. There was a rather fat gentleman with a huge black mustache and a long beard sitting next to me. He had been plunging heavily on numbers, but none of them would show. I had seen this same man around the Ritz when I was in Paris a good many times, but I didn't know who he was. In fact, I don't know yet. However, it was he who was responsible for a good portion of my stay in Europe. The afternoon of which I speak he had been watching me very intently, and it sort of made me nervous, so I cashed in my chips, intending to move on to another table. I guess I must have given him a hunch, because he placed a bunch of gold in my hand, and said, Pardon me, mademoiselle, but will you please play these for me? It might bring me luck, and I have been losing all afternoon. Well, that was fair enough. Besides, I had been told that the only system on which you can win is to play other people's money. By the way, that is a good system, as you can't lose at least. Anyway, I banked on number seven, and it showed. This man, who I think was a Frenchman, was all excited, and insisted that I keep on playing for him, so I stuck until evening, 
and played in the most phenomenal luck that I have ever seen. I don't think we exchanged a dozen words the whole afternoon, and I, not knowing the etiquette of gambling, didn't think I was entitled to any of the spoils. But when he cashed in and found himself $18,000 to the good, he insisted that I take half of it. Nine thousand dollars, more money than I have ever seen before. Anyway, I stuffed it in my pocket, shook hands with the old man, who said he hoped to see me in Paris, galloped back to the hotel with my huge roll of money, and told my American friends the great news. They kidded me a lot, and told me I had better be careful, or I would have this same dark-bearded man on my trail for life. This didn't sound so good but I had so much money that I decided to skip Nice and set out for Paris to buy me a lot of new clothes as my wardrobe was getting rather shabby. I got back to Paris, ordered myself a lot of French creations, but before they were delivered I can never tell you why. I, for some strange reason, took only a couple of bags and went to Belgium. That was just about the most foolish thing that I have ever done in my life, because I went straight to Brussels, engaged a room at the Palace Hotel, where I spent eight days in the confinement of those four walls, writing a play. I don't know, but I guess I wasn't used to loafing, so I sort of used that medium as an outlet for my pent-up emotions. And, as I used Bep as the hero of this sloppy melodrama, I guess I did relieve myself of a lot of sentiment on paper. Then, after my eight days of labor, when I re-read my effort, I decided the play was pretty rotten, tore it up, and having seen nothing at all of Brussels, went to Germany. I arrived in Berlin, where I met a family that I knew, and more or less played around with them for five or six days, hating the place. Then I bought a ticket to Hamburg, intending to take a Hamburg-American liner home. But when I got to the station, I had another change of heart, tore up my ticket, threw it to the four winds, and purchased another bound for Paris. Paris was calling me. Somehow that city sort of gets in one's blood and makes you always want to go back to it. Back in Paris, I collected my new outfit, started to learn French, and went to an art school where I began taking lessons in art, thinking I was going to make an artist of myself. The colonel was living in Paris then, and of course knew reams of French people, so I began chasing around to parties and theaters, seeing Paris in general, and paying no attention at all to my art studies. Anyway, it didn't matter much, because I was pretty stupid, and besides, I guess artists are born, not made. I had told the colonel and others of my affair in the gambling house at Monte Carlo, and from my description of the dark-bearded man, they had concluded that he was quite a notorious gambler operating in France at that time. I was always on the alert, watching for said supposed gambler around the Ritz, with more or less a little fear in my young heart. I was coming in the Place Vendôme entrance one morning when I bumped smack into this man, who to my great surprise begged a million pardons and passed on. I saw him several times after that about the hotel, but he merely passed me by without the slightest sign of recognition. I guess the little incident at the wheel had happened hundreds of times in his life and were quickly forgotten. The joke was on me. 
this dark man whom i had planned to elude didn't even remember that i was on earth and i don't mind telling you that it took a couple of kinks out of my vanity and made me just a little bit sore i had been doing the society stuff around gay paris and i guess i was getting a little bit bored and craved excitement and i got some one night i had tucked away in my bag still another letter of which i have not spoken before so i took that out and mailed it to an address in montmartre before leaving for europe i had spoken to one of the employees in the laboratory of the studio where i worked he was a regular apache type lately arrived from france so i suspected that he might know some thrilling people there he was delighted to give me a letter of introduction to his sister this was the letter i was all dressed up in one of my best productions several evenings later and had an engagement to go to the opera about seven o'clock the phone rang and the clerk at the desk told me that there were four rather weird-looking people downstairs asking for me said clerk was an englishman and imparted the news that they were pretty tough-looking customers and that he didn't think that i ought to see them but i suspected that they were the answer to my letter and that there might be some fun ahead so i told them to wait and dressed like a christmas tree as i was i went down to meet them i had divined the truth no one in the bunch was able to write english and they had answered my letter in person the husband of the woman to whom my letter was addressed spoke some english one other spoke italian so i decided that i would get along all right with them therefore i cut my date for the opera and we all went out together as usual being an american they took me to the folies bergere where i ran into several friends who looked much askance at me but i was out for a lark and thought i was having a lot of fun after the theatre they would have taken me to the dead rat or some place like that where americans always go but no i wanted to see the real montmartre not the show places i therefore asked them to take me to some little place that they would go to themselves to have a few dances and a quiet evening quiet gee whiz there was a hurried discussion in french between the four then we all got into a hack and drove through a lot of winding streets i tried to find the place afterwards but never could then they led me into a cellar where immediately i became the center of attraction naturally as i was all done up in expensive evening clothes well i saw montmartre that is for a couple of minutes there was a wild-eyed looking bunch of people sitting around little tables drinking some kind of strange liquor out of tall green bottles now the people that i was with were respectively two married couples so i was sort of a fifth wheel for the dancing part of the program and they introduced me to a couple of gay othellos with whom i could dance one in particular was a dashing young apache all done up in a cap a flowing tie and a velvet coat i took a couple of sips of the strange liquor which started my head spinning like a top the music started he grabbed me and we started out on a wild apache dance something new to me anyway i stuck and he slammed me around all over that room i wasn't on my feet hardly any of the time but being rather acrobatic i got along all right and my partner was delighted with me and when he led me back to the table he took out a couple of franc notes which he pinned on my left shoulder 
i didn't know the meaning of this but i now suspect it meant that i belonged to him as a partner for the rest of the dancing besides i didn't understand any of his monologues in french so i thought i was having a good time and didn't protest the music started up again and again i was grabbed but this time by another man who was sitting at another table he was a little more genteel and spoke english rather well being a blonde i think he must have been a swiss or something of that sort well he wasn't so rough and we danced around almost normally but every time we passed mr apache number one he scowled dreadfully and flung a lot of violent french phrases at us which i didn't understand and on i danced finally my partner coached me in a french sentence which in turn i delivered to the angry apache i guess that sentence must have been all wrong anyway the next thing i remember is of seeing a lot of stars and when i came to i was being carried into the ritz hotel by the night watchman covered with blood end of part 10